name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Today for us, uh, <clears throat> to share some thoughts <clears throat> before I begin the homily on our beloved uh, Metropolitan Philip of thrice-blessed memory and everlasting repose. He changed the faith of ortho, face of orthodoxy in America, along with patriotic nations, both are part of this life, by having the courage to bring in a bunch of uh, kind of rowdy, strange-looking Protestants uh, who were incredibly serious about becoming orthodox. Met, Metropolitan Philip said, how could we deny them? How could we deny them? We knocked on many doors. No, 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 no. Metropolitan said, how can we deny them? This is an act of the Holy Spirit. So we here will be forever grateful to our beloved Metropolitan for opening that door. The concern for us was that it would be 10, 15 years before this would happen. But he made it happen very, very quickly. So many, many things he's done that have been wonderful, and we just are grateful for his legacy, <clears throat> his work as uh, a great leader in our diocese. <clears throat> also passed away, uh, some of you may know Father Alexander Addy, another beloved brother in Christ, uh, had cancer and just passed away today, I think, yesterday or yesterday, so our prayers are with him. Our beloved Patricia Ephraimia, Pat Matthews passed uh, this week as well. And uh, Galena, uh, Nadine De Bruin's mom, also passed away. So uh, we have a lot of uh, intercessors <laughs> on the other side. So that's an important thing. You know, we, we, there's always a sadness in departure. There's always that, and there needs to be. The Lord wept at the tomb of Lazarus, so we all know that it's sad when somebody leaves us. But the hope of the resurrection is what we, uh, what we pray for and, and how we embrace these moments, is that uh, grant them your heavenly kingdom, a portion in your ineffable eternal blessings, and the enjoyment of your unending life. That's our prayer for them. So <clears throat> It's important for us to always remember them in our prayers. So today, we come to the midpoint of the fast. <clears throat> Always seems to sneak up on us. And in the middle of the fast, the church's wisdom, it places the cross as a place of refreshment. On Great and Holy Friday, the cross kind of turns a different meaning. There's a great sadness in the cross on Friday. We're taking the life of the King of Glory. But today the cross stands in our midst as a tr the tree of life, a beacon of hope, uh, a pointing us toward the resurrection. So today it's a very powerful, refreshing tool the church gives to us to, to rejoice in it. Because this is our salvation. This is where Christ gained our salvation on the cross. The cross is not a cross of death, a cross of life, the life-giving cross. So we hold it high today process with it, kiss it, venerate it, because it is our refreshment, our divine refreshment 
today, the Holy Cross. So in the Gospel of Mark, we hear these words from the Lord. If any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So these always seem to be uh, difficult words. Not, this is not like easy. Salvation isn't like easy. Deny yourself and pick up your cross. <laughs> I always feel like this is, there's kind of a heaviness in those words. But they're not meant to be that way. They're meant to be a, a place, a, a, an encouragement to us to, to be loosed from this life, to be loosed from the burdens of life. It's to lift things from us, not to put things on us. So how do we view this if it's to take things away from us? So deny yourself. Deny yourself. See, that seems harsh. But why? Because it's so important the Lord understands that unless you have self-mastery, you're going to be tossed left and right by every temptation. Unless you have self-mastery, you'll be tossed left and right from every temptation. So he says you need discipline. You need to master yourself, so deny yourself. We're in the fast today and through this, these next weeks to deny ourselves, to say no. To say no to things, no to this and no to that and no to this and no to that. So when the big temptation comes, guess what you say? Say it louder. No. You need to be able to use that word. It's a very spiritual word. No. No, thank you. Not today. Leave me alone. To that thought, to that temptation. It's a very powerful tool. The Lord knows that tool is necessary for us. But I want to encourage you, when you're saying no to something, you also need to be saying yes to something else. It's not good enough just to say no. So if we're saying no to certain foods that tantalize our appetites, we say no to them, but we say yes to the giver of life, to the food of life, to divine life. Not to the food of this world, but to the food of the kingdom. Christ is my sustenance. God fulfills my hunger. Those who are hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled. That's what we seek. When we feel that little pang of hunger in us, we say no to that, but what do we say yes to? To God. Because He's the one that fills our hungry belly. with divineness, with divine grace. You ever been in a place where you've just, where the presence of God is so thick that you don't want food? It would ruin it. A hamburger now? No, thank you. That's what God asks us to reach for that spot, to reach for it to curb the appetites, to say no to sin, and yes to virtue. That's our effort, to deny ourselves sinful appetites and to feast on the virtues. What an opportunity. What a beautiful thing this is. So self-mastery is very critical to us. So 
So God knows. So deny yourselves so you can gain mastery. So those temptations that come, you can say yes to the temptation and no to the temptation, yes to the temptation, no to the temptation. I was just saying if you're paying attention, by the way. Paying attention? You weren't paying attention because you didn't laugh. No to sin and yes to the virtues. Make your yes, yes, and your no, no. Those are the words of the Lord. Make them yes, make your yes, yes, and your no, no. So take up your cross, he says, and follow me. All of us have been given crosses in life. Each of us. We must know this about our God. God is doing everything he can in your life, in all the lives of everybody on this planet, to save them. He's doing everything he can to save everybody. He loves everybody unconditionally. So if he's doing everything to save you, and everything is done in love for you, then we must understand that that cross that we've been given to carry is for our good and for our salvation. It's for my salvation. Now, as soon as it becomes other than that, you can resent it. You can ask the Lord why. I remember one time I was with Bishop Joseph and somebody had a very traumatic thing things happening in her life, and she said, why, why, why? And Bishop Joseph said, time out, time out. Don't ask why. He said, how, ask how, Lord, am I going to get through this? Ask how. And that's our goal, is when we, when we carry our cross and we, we make that effort to carry the cross, the burden that God gives to us, that difficult thing in life that God asks us to carry, it's for our salvation. It's to teach us. And sometimes that cross, in a very powerful way, will just automatically build virtue. It'll automatically build patience. It'll automatically build courage. It'll automatically build long-suffering. It'll automatically build forgiveness. It has an automatic quality to it when you take it up. But the other side of it is, and this is important, when you try to pick up your cross sometimes, you're going to find out how weak you are. You're going to find out that you're not forgiving enough, that you're not repentant enough, that you're not strong enough, you're not courageous enough. And guess what? You need a Savior. So the cross many times is there to allow us to just bend our knee to God. Say, Lord, I can't do this. This is too much for me. Please help me. I am weak. Please be my strength. The cross can take you to that place. That's a very beautiful place to be where you cannot do it and you know it. And you understand at that moment that it's God in you that will help you. So the cross is a very powerful tool for us to take up and carry and follow God with. So what do we get? What is the effort we're asked to do. Where do we go with this cross? It's a very beautiful line in the epistle. Um, I love this very much. It says um, that he had sympathized with our weakness. 
Let us draw near to the throne of grace. How many would like to go to the throne of grace today, by the way? Would you like to, if you'd like to go to the throne of grace, I would. The throne of grace. The altar of God. The kingdom of heaven. The presence of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all the saints and angels. That throne, that's the throne we're going to. And when we get there, we receive grace and mercy. Wow. Let us go to the throne of grace. That's where we come when we come to that communion chalice every Sunday. We come to the throne of grace and receive mercy and grace. So how do we get there? What's the, what's the effort, what's the attitude we have in our heart to move toward the throne? You know, in the confessional, there are five people that are remembered. In the confessional, when the priest prays for absolution, David, who was forgiven by Nathan the prophet. Uh, the Peter went weeping bitterly for his denial. The sinful woman and tears at his feet. The publican and the prodigal son. Those are the attitudes that we come with to the throne. David, broken and contrite heart. Because he understands himself. He understands his weaknesses and sins. He comes to the throne of grace with repentance. With a broken heart. We can get to the throne of grace with a broken heart. Peter, weeping bitterly for his denial. We can come to the throne of grace through tears. Tears of our own weaknesses and sins and shortcomings. That brings you to the throne of grace. For Peter, weeping bitterly for his denial, the sinful woman in tears at his feet with incredible gratitude for forgiveness. You know, when you're forgiven sins, there's just a tremendous lifting of that burden from your shoulder. And you come, those, and those, that burden many times is lifted with tears. We come with tears. That gets us at the throne of grace. For the uh, publican, no self-justification. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Those simple words take you to the throne of grace. Lord, have mercy on me. Wow. Simple words. Simple attitude. And then the prodigal son, who understands that he's left, this, left the kingdom, moved away in his thoughts, his attitudes, his practice, his behavior. And he turns again to God, with, with just the idea, Lord, all you need to do is make me a servant in your, in your household. I don't even want to be your son again. And the father comes running out to meet you. And he drops to his knees and kisses you on the neck. Takes out the robe. Puts a ring on your finger and sandals on your feet. And brings you in and kills the fatted calf. And opens the doors of his home to you again. The throne of grace. The throne of mercy. That's where we come. That's, that's, that's the place where mercy and grace exist forever. That mercy, beloved, doesn't run out. It's uh, boundless, we pray. It's boundless. It has no end. That mercy is everywhere. 
And no matter where you go and what you do, God will continue to pour out that mercy on you. Maybe that mercy is to correct you. Maybe that mercy is to draw you in. Maybe that mercy is to comfort you. Whatever that mercy is to do, that will, he will do that. But God is always merciful. Always merciful. Boundlessly merciful. As Father Hopka would say, ruthlessly merciful. Ruthlessly merciful. God doesn't leave you alone. He won't leave you alone. I had an interesting uh, situation the other day. Somebody came to be baptized, their baby, and moving toward restoration in the church, very beautiful moment. And the comment was, you know what's kept me? My baptism. You know what kept me? My baptism. Out of, out, of, out of her mouth, she said this. What kept me was my baptism. You know what that was? Mercy. Continually poured out in that life. Continually poured out in that life. And then grace is given to us. Grace is seen by the church as the fullness of the life of God given to us. The life of God. Everything that God is, we say, by grace, by nature, in the incarnation, we become by grace. All that is grace to us. So today, beloved, let us deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Christ. And come to the throne of grace, where we receive mercy and grace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.